This is NFL.com's Coaches Show Podcast. 40 men together can't lose. This is why you lift all them weights. Everybody's driving out there. Nobody's got them. And now we're going. There's a gleam, men. There's a gleam. Brian Billick and Steve Mariucci here for the Coach's Show podcast. This week, we recap the Broncos' win over the Chiefs and the Saints' victory against the 49ers. Also, Mooch and I give our take on RG3 and what the passing struggles might mean for the Redskins' coaching staff. Plus, Mooch goes one-on-one with Chiefs' Andy Reid on the Chiefs, Philly, and everything in between. The Coach's Show podcast recaps Week 11 in the NFL, and it starts now. Uh, some great games, but we got to go to the headliners. You know, obviously the, the the big game. Everybody was waiting for Denver and and the Chiefs game, and then the 49ers and, and and New Orleans. Let's start with the game that happened in Denver. Two things going in, we were wondering how is Peyton Manning going to hold up against that pass rush? Pretty darn good because they didn't touch him. And then how was Alex Smith with all the yeah you managed the game and you win a lot of games? Can you step up? Can you keep up in a track meet with Peyton Manning? Obviously he couldn't. Yeah, Brian, and it's funny because uh, on game day morning, we do this crazy segment called Bold Predictions, okay? And we do some crazy stuff. And what I, what I predicted was that Peyton Manning was going to get sacked. Now, let me preface this by saying he's the least sacked quarterback uh, in the last decade, right? And because he can get rid of the footballs, not because of his mobility. So I said uh, he was sacked five times, a couple times in his career. I said he's going to get sacked six times in this game by the Kansas City Chiefs defense. Well, I was just off by six because they did, they did not sack him once. They hardly hit him. And so they did a nice job, A, of protecting, B, of, you know, getting rid of the ball in a timely fashion, C, you know, receivers working open right away. And then, of course, they mix the run in, too. But they, you're right. They protected him very well. And then he becomes very dangerous. Well, they play again in two weeks, and my bet is we're going to see a little bit of a change in the Chiefs' approach because I was a little surprised by the amount of man coverage. And with the weapons that Peyton Manning has, you know, okay, maybe your one can match with his one. Maybe your two can match with his two. But his three beats your three. His three probably beats your four. And his five isn't as good as your number three, four, and five, or your three isn't as good as his five. You're confusing me. I know. That's yeah. too much man coverage. Uh, mm-hmm. So he had too many eyes. He knew where he wanted to go right now. I, I imagine if they want to change it up a little bit, maybe get him to hold the ball just a little bit, let that rush get home. You know, uh, we had a Thursday night game when Andy returned to Philadelphia, okay? And what they did in that game, they played a lot of man coverage. And it worked, and, and, they, and they beat Philadelphia in Philly. And, and so, you know, we were pretty curious why they would feel they can match up with Deshaun Jackson and all those guys, Riley Cooper. But I think what they found out that Denver receiving core is deeper and really, you know, better uh, than, than Phillies, especially with that passer involved with Peyton Manning. So, you know, you can play some two-man and not worry about the quarterback running, right? They would love Peyton Manning to run a couple times, but that wasn't going to happen. And so, you know, obviously in two weeks from now, they will make the proper adjustments that they feel uh, they, they needed to make and were unable to make in that ball game. But uh, you know what? It was two good football teams, though, right, it Brian? Was. Two, it was. And two that's good what, teams exactly battling right. it out. Somebody had a win. And, you know, maybe the Chiefs win the next game, but, you know, on, at home. And, and, and Denver has to go on the road to New England. Yeah. Then on the road to Kansas City, Kansas City's going to play San Diego. So this parlay of, and we're going to talk in a minute mm-hmm. about preparation. Mm-hmm. 
for a team twice in three weeks. But and let's let's talk about the inconvenient truth in the sense that we both love Alex Smith. We love the guy that's smart like that, that can orchestrate the game plan and not turn the ball over. But we've all had that hesitation about Alex Smith. Could he step up in that arena and make those big plays down the field? And if it's going to change for the Kansas City Chiefs, not just the regular season is going to be fine, but once they get into the playoffs, he's going to have to make more of those plays. And I think there's still a hesitation, at least there is on my part, about Alex Smith being able to do that on a consistent basis. Well, he hasn't done that on a consistent basis throughout his career. Now, granted, the teams that he plays for and the, in the offense that he's been part of, you know, are more of a balanced kind of, a, of an offensive approach. And it was that way in San Francisco, too. So, you know, he hasn't needed to wing it for 300, 400 yards in a game very often. And, he's, and he and Peyton ended, entered in, into this game as the highest winning percentage quarterbacks over the last couple of years in the National Football League. But, you know, and you, and you wonder, too, if it's, you know, his receiving core, is it as dynamic as some of the others in the league? Uh, probably not. So, you know, he ran for 52 yards. Man, he ran some zone read. He looked like RG3, didn't he, in a couple plays. Um, but I agree that they're going to have to be able to push the ball down the field in order to score more points. It's all about the points. And they only scored 16 offensive touchdowns going into this game after nine games in the season, 16 offensive touchdowns. That's not very much. That's not enough to win against a high-powered offense like the Broncos. Yeah, and, and being in Kansas City, I'm afraid our, our, our friend Andy Reid is going to start hearing as they progress towards it uh, the analogies to the to the Marty Ball in the old days in Kansas City, where you, you <laughs> plow through the you plow through the regular season, get into the playoffs, and that formula doesn't win in the playoffs. And all of a sudden, you're bounced out of the playoffs. That analogy obviously is going to be brought up a great deal. Let's move on to the 49ers and the Saints game because it was really it was a better game than I think people thought. But because the Saints won, because they're at home, because of the controversial call at the end with Ahmad Brooks, and we'll talk about that in a second. But, but let's talk a little bit about that game. Obviously, two of the best teams in the NFC. Let's go back to a topic we had before because a lot of people are asking about Colin Kaepernick. And I go back. Mm -hmm. I tell you what, I, I, Colin Kaepernick made some good throws the other day. I sure. still think, you know, Vernon Davis and, and Anquan Bolden are his guys. He threw to Mario Manningham in the end zone. Mm -hmm. Beautiful throw right there. But he couldn't get his feet in. Threw on a third down that, uh, that uh, got betrayed because Manningham didn't come flat enough on the slant and the DB intercepted it. Mm -hmm. Vance McDonald dropped a third and two to three right in his hands. I'm not saying he's not responsible for it, but Colin Kaepernick, he needs a little more help on the outside. Well, and it's, it all, a lot of it started way back in practice when Michael Crabtree was doing a little motion and he planned to run the play and snapped his Achilles tendon. And so they've been suffering ever since then, and, and they're going to hope to get him back here at some point soon. You just wonder how fast he, he can become quick and, and, uh, and aggressive again, but um, he really misses him. And, of course, Mario Manningham just returned a couple weeks ago. Uh, the only guys that have scored touchdowns in the passing game were Vernon Davis and Anquan Bolden. And, and so that's not enough weapons. You know that, no. Brian. It's not enough in this day and age to become a real good passing attack. And so as, as much as we love their run game and what Colin Kaepernick did a year ago, their, their weapons on offense in the passing game are just, they're, they're light. 
They're, they're not as good as other teams. And we'd all like them. Remember, they threw the ball for 400 yards in the first game right. against the Packers, and it was like, whoa, Kaepernick's taking the next step as not only an athletic quarterback, but, yeah, now as a passer like Joe Montana. Well, they've only thrown for 200 yards once since then. And so uh, the passing game needs to be expanded, and, and uh, I don't know that it will until Michael Crabtree gets back. You know what I like to do with Kaepernick, and it's unrealistic what? because they're on a winning team. Uh, and so you got to do what it takes to win. But I would love to take a year with Kaepernick and say, okay, you're not going to run the ball one time. Throw out the read option, all this other stuff. We're going to make you just play quarterback, make you throw it 500 times in a traditional quarterback way to hone those skills. Because I still think this guy's just uncannily accurate. Let's hone those skills, and then we'll come back the next year, and now we'll let you do all the other stuff as well. Now that we've had, because I'm not sure, that would be my frustration right now because with all the things you're doing, and, and I applaud what Greg Roman and, and Jim Harbaugh are doing because you've got to win and, and they're a good football team and they're a Super Bowl caliber team, but I don't know that, that from a progression standpoint, he's getting all the throws in practice in the traditional way that, you know, because 10 years from now, he's not going to be running all that stuff. And he could be around and have a good career beyond that. He's going to be thrown from the pocket and use that athleticism in a different way. I just like to accelerate that learning from the pocket a little bit. Well, you know what? That would be a way to do it is just to say that we're going to be thrown from the pocket and you're going to work through your progression every day of your life and every snap in practice. And he simply doesn't have that luxury uh, because you do what you do best and they're built around an offensive line that can maul you. And then they got some nice, they got a good stable of running backs, as you know. And so I think, I think until the weapons change, uh, and, and, and his philosophy changes in terms of, hey, I, I've got to score more points because maybe we're not as good on defense anymore. But I think they're in the mindset of play good defense, run the football, and not mess it up at quarterback might be the way that they got to the Super Bowl last year. And that's kind of their M.O. right now. And, and developing Colin Kaepernick as a drop-back passer is like on the back burner. Well, you help me up here because every Monday they're making uh, LT and me put our playoff field together, NFC and AFC. And I, I, I'm going to just keep changing it because at some point I'll be able to go back to the tape and I'll put enough teams up there going, see, I was right. You know, I'll just put everybody up there at one point or another. But let me that's ask you this. We, that's what we do. About the four, I've been saying for a long time now that, well, in the AFC and the NFC, it's the same way. The number one seed in the AFC is going to be, be, be Denver and Kansas City or Kansas City and Denver. One's gonna be, uh, one of them's going to be one. One of them's going to be five. That's set in stone. Yeah, yeah, and then we'll yeah. work in the others. In the NFC, yeah. Seattle and San Francisco. One of them's going to be one. One of them's going to be five. Well, it looks like Seattle's going to end up number one. You still think Denver, San Francisco will be number five? And today, LT put them at number six. Could they fall out yeah. altogether? No, I was. I mean, I'm looking at it, and I'm going, I'm hoping they make the playoffs. Yeah. Because Carolina could very well be number five. And Carolina won head-to-head, right, against San Francisco already. And you start looking at the schedule, there are several teams that yep. are six and four. Some that are five and five. I mean, it's, you know, the Eagles, you know, uh, of course, they're going to be four, it looks like. Well, they could be, you know, if, if Dallas or somebody, Giants. Right. How about the hot Giants? I mean, right. anybody can win that division over there in the East. Uh, so I think San Francisco, I, I think it's a foregone conclusion that it's not going to be the one seed. They're not going to win that division. They're too far behind Seattle, who just got healthy with those linemen coming back. Oh, boy. And, and so, a Percy Harvin that's now had a, you know, getting going to yeah. get better and better with it. And- 
And they used them on kickoff returns, too. I thought I thought for sure they would work them in easily, but they let's go. And so they're the team to beat, obviously. So the 49ers have got to find a way to be the fifth or sixth seed, and that's not a, a given either because they still have to play the Seattle Seahawks. And that's not an easy game, even though it is in candlestick. Yeah. Oh, let's fast forward. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a producer here and make you do something stupid like they always make us do. Seattle, oh. Seattle and New Orleans. New Orleans has, you know, they, they're at home, but then they got to go to road on to beat Seattle. Can they do that? Can New Orleans, the way they are right now. Playoffs? Are you talking I'm during talking the regular play, playoffs, season? Playoffs. Playoffs. I'm talking, playoffs. I'm talking about right now, the teams we see right now. Can New Orleans go into Seattle and win? Hey, remember, I'm, I'm just going to just throw this out to you, a little fun fact. Remember when Seattle won the division at 7-9 and and we were in an uproar about, what? A a, 7-9 team's allowed to win a division and and have a home playoff game? And a 10-6 New Orleans team went in there. And then the New Orleans team went in there and just got mauled by the beast, right? Uh, Marshawn Lynch. And so in Seattle, I'm sorry, the Saints have never won a road playoff game. Brian, now they won a Super Bowl. I don't know if you, is that a road playoff game? Yeah, it's, that's neutral yeah. site. Yeah, so so they've never won on the road in the playoffs. So I think it's important for both Seattle and the Saints to have a home home field advantage for a game or two or three. That certainly would help. Um, can they win it? Sure, they could if uh, you know if they if they get a break or they play very well, which they have, and it, 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 it'll be interesting. But I still say that the home field advantage is gonna is gonna carry the. The, the number one seed all the way through to the Super Bowl. Okay, this is the Coaches Show podcast. So we get to question a coach's call. Uh, I right. had the Detroit Lions at the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know where I'm going. Con- controversial call. <sighs> Strange game. Steelers came out. It was all the Steelers in the first quarter. Then it was all Detroit the second quarter. Neither team did anything in the second half until Detroit was able to go the length of the field. They got down to a fourth and one or two, and they faked a field goal up by four. Field goal would have given them a seven-point differential. Let's listen to what Jim Schwartz had to say after the failed field goal attempt. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can say whatever you want. You all say whatever you want about me. Okay, don't, don't say I'm scared because we ain't. Okay, this team's going to be aggressive. We're going to play our very best. We didn't play well enough to win this game. Okay, but but it's not because we're gonna we're we're passive or anything. We went for it on the fourth down also. Okay, we didn't make enough plays to to win this game. Offense, defense, and special teams. Okay, Mooch, we got to start with the Coaches Show podcast theme. That is, whatever you do, if it worked, you're a genius. If it didn't, yep. you're the village idiot. So obviously, he looks like the village idiot right now. Let's and, talk. And we, we should preface it by saying we've been there as the village idiot. More before. more on the idiot side than the genius yeah. side. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's why we're doing Coach Your Show podcast right now. <laughs> All right. Let's, but let's talk about the process, how you arrive at that decision. You know, for, for me, it, it, and I understand the bravado and why you do it, and we can question, well, but you feel gold makes it a seven-point differential. The weather was getting bad. It was raining more, so that should have done it. I always love the post-game news conferences when some reporter is going to say, well, if you'd have known you weren't going to make it and that they were going to go 98 yards and score, would you still have done it? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, I didn't have that information. But when, and I'm sure it's going to be the same for you. But I know in my career, it was real clear cut. You didn't just wake up one morning going, you know what? If I get to a fourth and two down the ten yard line, I'm going to go for it. Special teams coaches pound away at you all week long. Look, if you need it, 
I think we can get a fake field goal. They do this. They align inside. We can get off to the edge. So if you really need it, put it in your back pocket so you've got it. Maybe you've had it there for a couple weeks, and you really think yep. it's a possibility. Now you're sizing up the situation. You get it down fourth and two. You really have faith in what you're doing offense. Your defense is performing really well, uh, particularly in the second half. So you throw that all in, and you make the decision that you go for it. And, and uh, it is a process, but that still doesn't belie the fact that he probably should have kicked the field goal. <laughs> you finally got to it. Finally should have kicked the field goal. A um, couple things. A couple things. As you know, in the league now, uh, the field goal rush is changed. Now, we got six over here on one side. That's the maximum. you got to stay off the center. So what we're finding is a very um, cookie-cutter alignment on on the field goal rush team okay there's the six there's a guy back there and the rest are over here and one's in coverage okay so probably had this um for a long time because a lot of teams line up the same way okay now i've i've coached uh, special teams on four different teams when i was growing up all right and so i always had field goal fakes and punt fakes and reverses on kickoffs and throwbacks you know uh, all of that uh ready for games and you say to your head coach all right we've got it ready it looks good on film they're giving it to us um i feel really strongly about it or you know that kind of thing i'll let you know during the game and there's always a a a, a, a safety net in that when the, the holder brian in this particular case the holder looks at the alignment and, and when the Absolutely. fake is called you look at it and you see if it's still good because if they change their alignment what you do is you say check kick Check, kick, sit, and then you kick it, kick the field goal, or you punt the ball, okay, if it's not there. Well, evidently, they felt like it was there because there wasn't any check, kick. They were running that thing, but it was, I'm curious because it's this rookie punter, okay, Sam Martin, who's a, what if he gets hurt by one of those guys? Then you don't have a holder or a punter anymore, and I don't know if, and really, in the fourth quarter, with a four-point lead, the game is a little bit on the line, right? I don't know. I, me personally, I'm kind of conservative by right. nature. I wouldn't have done put that rookie punter in that situation to help me win the game. Now, granted, maybe Jim said, you know what? I don't know if our defense can hold up. We need to get up by two possessions. We need to get up and not settle for three more points and just be up seven points. That's not good enough against Big Ben. I don't know, but he sure went with it and never checked out of it. And what happens? Uh, boom, in the fumble. And uh, boy, oh boy. It, and then we're talking about it all week. Right, and that's a fair assessment. Although I will tell you, and I, same way, you know, you had the fakes built in. And I remember Sam Cook was our punter in Baltimore. And, and every, we would always, for us, it was always the fake punt. You know, you're in the 50 down to about the 35. You're trying to steal an extra series. It's a fourth down, so you have the fake punt on. And that yep. way we're going to get at least get in scoring position. You always had it up every week, and here's what it has to look at. And just like you said, you always have it on check. Okay? You, you, have, you call it as the run, and if the look's not right, they add an extra guy into the number count or whatever. It's check, check, kill, kill, kill. And now we're going to pooch punt it down in. And so we're practicing. We're practicing. My special teams coach, he's fired about, Coach, it's going to be there. It's going to be there. And Sam Cook, he finally came on and says, Coach, you do know that unless the coach has them all standing on the sideline, to explain what's going on, and there's absolutely nobody on the field, I'm never going to run this thing. I don't want that responsibility, okay? So, yeah, we can practice this all you want, but unless you tell me run it, if you give me the option to check out of it, unless they've all died of cholera right there on the spot, I'm not running this thing. I said, okay, that's good information to know.
You know the best one? The best fakes when those punters are standing back there and the guys, the jammers, are coming in and you, and you leave your gunners uncovered right. and then they have to throw the I'm ball out there? I'm supposed to throw one step, yeah. Oh, my God. You know, even if there's nobody covering them, you know, there's pressure on that guy to complete that pass. That's like pat and go. You don't complete them all, even against air. And so that's kind of pressure on that guy. Heck, if that was that guy, I'd check punt anyway. Uh, so it's, it's always good stuff when, when somebody has the guts right. to make a call, all right, to go for it like that. It's fun because when it works, man, you are the hero. They throw a parade yeah. for you. But then when it doesn't work, oh, here we go. Well, the ultimate, the ultimate was Sean Payton in the Super Bowl. Had that onside kick not worked. Oh. Oh. Would that not have been the They'd dumbest coaching of, move in the history? They would run him out of town. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, let's, well, let's, yeah. we got a couple interesting <laughs> situations around the quarterback situation, and I, I, I lost my quarterback guru card a long time ago. They shredded it and burned it. You're still the quarterback guru to a degree. Yeah. Let's talk mm -hmm. about a couple things, tough quarterback situations. It always revolves around that. Let's go down to Houston. Case Keenum playing pretty well. Gary uh, Kubiak <laughs> comes back after the heart condition up in the booth. They go back to, to uh, Schaub, and let's just talk about that whole scenario right now where hmm. the perceived indecision about the quarterback position in first should he have done it, and where does that leave him as a struggling team now? Typically when you got two guys, now the locker room's divided a little bit. Let's talk about what he's dealing with by pulling Keenum and going back with Schaub. Yeah, and it didn't go I, real well. No, it didn't, and then it ended up in the argument with Andre Johnson, too. That's a shame, but... Uh, let's remember that that Matt Schaub and Gary Kubiak are in some ways joined at the hip. Yeah. I mean, they 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 grew that program over there in Houston to a to a playoff type team, and, and it wasn't easy. And so they've been through the wars together, all right. And then and then Gary misses because he has the uh, the mini stroke, and then Matt Schaub gets pulled because he's thrown pick sixes all over the place. Well. I, I think, you know, when, when you're in a game like that and you got a young quarterback and all of a sudden you, you, you say you need a spark, you need a spark, and you say, maybe I'm going to go with my veteran. Maybe he can put a drive together and tie this game up or get us, get, get us the lead here in the fourth quarter. So he chose to do it. Uh, Matt Schaub probably hasn't practiced much in the last few weeks, right? And so uh, and then uh, and they came down to that throw against uh, with, uh, to Andre Johnson, and it, and it looked like, Matt was expecting him to come inside, and he stopped, and it was, it was a pick, and it was ugly. Ah, it's a, it's a tough deal because I don't know if Gary Kubiak is ready to go to Case Keenum just yet. Well, and, but, but the word we're getting is he is going to start him this week. So now that vacillation back and forth, that's, that's the thing that concerns me the most because in a, what is already going to be a tough locker room, winning locker room is a good locker room, a losing back mm -hmm. locker room is a bad locker room, yep. but no matter how much they love the coach and how – veteran the locker room is but now anytime particularly at the quarterback position the things that concern me is there's some guys if indeed he starts case keenum there are guys in the locker room going eh, no why why it should be shop if it had gone with shop there's guys in the locker room going eh, it should have been keenum and yeah. and they're going to question i mean they're already questioning him as a head coach because they're losing now they're going to question his play calling because he calls the plays as the coordinator. Now they're going to question his judgment in dealing with quarterbacks, and that's what Gary Kubiak is. He's a former quarterback. It's a, he's, there's a lot of room to, to criticize. Let's stay with the quarterbacks. Uh, uh, there's a lot going on out there. Talk about, in your mind, your biggest concern. Which quarterback are you most concerned for right now, a Matt Ryan, an RG3, or a Geno Smith? 
Who's in the most well, critical stage right yeah, now? Yeah, well, the first guy you mentioned, Matt Ryan, we're going to see on Thursday night, and I think the world of Matt Ryan, and he's, but he's proven to me that he can win in this league, that he can, that he belongs. He should be listed as one of the elite quarterbacks in this league. He's he's uh, he's earned his stripes, let's say. And we all know about all the injuries that they've had over there. My goodness, I, I'd hate I'd hate to be the quarterback over there. Right? It just it's just uh, the weapons are just depleted. Robert Griffin III, and I'm a fan of RG3. Boy, I, I, and he, he made me a believer. Um, I liked the kid before he even got drafted. Got to know him at the Combine and different things. And, geez, he's a solid guy. But when I look at what they're doing, and, and it, you mentioned it earlier when, with Colin Kaepernick and the run game and the zone read and the make plays with your legs and not necessarily count on dropping back and making plays from the pocket in a conventional way. Um, I, I'm, I'm waiting for more conventional way to come from the Washington Redskin offense. We know he can run the ball. We know he can read the option and hand it off to Alfred Morris. We, we know that. But to take the next step, to be able to come from behind because their defense isn't very good, he's got to be able to make plays, more plays in a consistent fashion from the pocket. And, and I did a little XO in the highlights last night over there at, at the network, and I see protection breakdowns. I see receivers not getting open and separating like you'd like them to be. He's holding and waiting for the receivers to come open, and they're not there yet. And then, I, and then I'm seeing some throws that he flat misses, okay? So the passing game, the drop-back passing game, uh, leaves a lot to be desired right now. And, and I, can he, is he talented enough to do it? You bet he is. But he missed the entire offseason with that, with that yeah. knee. He missed the entire, all the OTAs in the, spring, in the uh, summer camp and all of that. And uh, he's still a young quarterback. We have to keep reminding ourselves of that. Yeah. You're like our buddy Gruden. You like them all. You, <laughs> it's well, hard not to like them all. We got to rip somebody here at some point. You, you know, know how hard it is to play quarterback in the National oh, Football God, League, it's so right? Tough. And then and if, if you have a losing record, we criticize the heck out right. of you. But it's they're so demanding. It's the hardest position to play in all sports. It and really I love is. some of the people doing criticizing because a lot of them don't know a quarterback from a quarter pounder, yet they're all going to wade in on the fundamentals and why they're doing it. And, but let me bring up a subject then that really just hit me full flush in the face. I'm on the plane flying back from my game in Pittsburgh, getting to watch the, the uh, Denver and, and Kansas City game, and then they show some of the postgame quotes. And Robert Griffith III, and this, this one jumped out at me and it disturbed me a little bit. Remember last summer? When they, 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 he kind of was not on the same page with Shanahan in terms of how I'm going to practice and I'm getting over the whole physical thing. And I don't know that he meant to, but it seemed to create a little bit of a rift. And then his postgame news conference says, look, yeah, we got to play better than this, that, and the other. But uh, seemed like they knew what we were doing. Seemed like they, were, they, they knew exactly what we were calling and what we were coming. But we got to make that happen as players. Well, wait a minute now. I mean, you just threw Kyle Shanahan right under the bus. Then the bus backed up. You grabbed him again, threw him out there again. <laughs> and I wouldn't – oh. the one in connect is – am I overreading that a little bit? Am, no, am I, I, this concerns me a little bit. <clears throat> Remember when we used to have the whole offseason to, to, to train these guys and bring them in for quarterback school and, and all, the whole thing, it was awesome. You could get a lot of work done. Now, they can't, they, now they're on break and, and uh, then they show up very late. One of the things that I would do – with young guys, like an RG3. Not only would I go over the cut-ups, Brian, on the, all, everything, on every protection, on every route, on the picks, on the touchdowns, on all, you know, what you do in quarterback school. 
I would show him mm -hmm. and teach him who are the best guys in the National Football League as the voice and the face of the organization. And, and you know who they are. Peyton Manning is terrific. Drew Brees is terrific. They say the right things, win or lose. They are constant, and they, are, they, they take the high road. They never throw anybody under the bus, never will. They know the name of the person that's interviewing them. They, it's, 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 it's terrific. And some of these young quarterbacks, including RG3, needs to really be taught a, a, a little bit better what to say and what not to say. Right. And, and even though it, 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 it might be true, some things might be true, there's some things that are better left unsaid. And so you, you wouldn't open yourself up by making one sentence that says, oh, geez, he doesn't right. agree with the coach, or he doesn't like that receiver, or he's predicting something. And, and so there's a way to handle all that, and it's not natural. You've got to learn how to do that. And so that's one of the things I think RG3 needs to probably be a little bit better at. You're he's a smart guy. Right. And I don't know whether it was intentional or not, but you're absolutely no, right. When I visited not. with Cam Newton and with all the things that he went through emotionally last year, he said that's exactly what his father did. He sat him down and put him in front of a tape of a handful of his post-game news conferences, and he said, I was ashamed. I was embarrassed when, to yep. watch it and seeing and how I would react to me Seeing it that way, and you're exactly right, RG3, and I don't know that it's an, he's a great kid and he's a smart kid, but you're right. And who's better than Peyton Manning and, and Drew Brees and Tom Brady of after a game, win or lose, telling you absolutely nothing? And they do it very eloquently, and they'll throw it all out there, but they tell you nothing. And you know what? That's fine. You're not obligated to tell anybody anything. But let's let's spin that out a little bit because I live in the D.C. area, as you know, and it's going to begin to heat up both from Mike Shanahan and the unique situation. His son, Kyle Shanahan, is the offensive coordinator. And if this is indeed a rift or a questioning, we've both fired coordinators, Steve. But neither one of us has fired a coordinator that we then had to go home to my wife, Kim, or your wife, Gail, and say, by the way, I fired my coordinator, which means your son and your grandkids now have to move. And he won't be coming to dinner tonight. And yeah. So, yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That, that's, that's a tough mess spot. all over it. Yeah. And I, and I hope, and then last year, of course, they, they started off slow, <clears throat> three and six, and, and, then, and then fixed it and went on a winning streak. And as you know, winning cures all. And it's a Band-Aid on anything that, that might ail you. Um, but now I, they're not going to go on a, on a run. I, I don't think they're going to go on a run uh, and finish the, the season with a divisional championship. And, and so they've got to they've find a way to get a little better here, get a little better there. And, and uh, you know, I, I just – some of it's been self-imposed, right. Brian, with Washington. Yep. Because they gave up a lot of draft choices for RG3. They put a lot of eggs in one basket, which – Maybe many of us would have done, okay? But the other thing, remember the salary cap penalty that they had and they were unable to use, I don't know, $30 million over a couple of years and not go out and get free agents and surround him with more talent. Uh, and so they were unable to do some of the things to, to build up their team around RG3. So they're kind of going through that right now. Uh, switch gears on you one more time. My under-the-headset headset piece this Wednesday for NFL.com is about the unique preparation cycle when you play a team a couple times in, in three-week span, a la Kansas City and Denver. Played last night. They're going to play two weeks from now. Kansas City's <clears throat> got to play San Diego. 
Denver's got to go on the road to New England. Not an easy task. And then gone on the road to Kansas City. Let's talk about as coaches when you have in the division that tight two-week turnaround. Let's talk about what the approach is. You know, a lot of to a degree you want to, okay, I'm going to hold this for the second game. But i got to win that first game. Forget that hold of the second game. I'm going to put it all in the first game. A lot of times it's a variation on a theme. It's usually a team you're very comfortable with. But there is some strategical, th- strategical things you'll do, the fact that you're going to face these teams twice in three weeks. You know, and I was trying to think, did it ever happen to me when I was coaching? And then I went, oh, yeah, it did. When I was an assistant coach at the Packers, we played the Lions in Detroit week 17, last game of the year, okay? The winner was going to be the uh, division winner. Well, they beat us in the last game in the, in the Silverdome. So the very next week, we had to turn around and go play the Lions and Barry Sanders and those guys again in the Silverdome. So what do you do? Well, a lot of your practice, uh, you know, there's carryover from one week to the other because you're playing against the same guys in the same scheme. Um, But then you look at your playbook offensively and you say, all right, well, what did we think we liked back last week that we didn't run? Some of the things maybe we didn't get to, all right? So we're going to carry those for sure. And maybe the things that were good for us, maybe we'll disguise them with a different personnel group or a formation and and do the same things but only, uh, you know, kind of, Sugarcoat it a little bit. And then so there are some things that will remain constant from your preparation, obviously. But then there's some things, all right, now we did this and we did this. Let's deke them and let's run this play. Um, but it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's, 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 I don't know, I don't want to say it's boring because, all right, let's put the personnel back up. Well, it's the same as last week. Let's move on. Um, but it happens, especially in, this, in these divisions, when there's two good teams in a division. It could happen with the 49ers, Seattle's, and, again, play in the playoffs again. And that's part of it. You have to be careful your team doesn't get bored in its preparation that week because they just had it. And you're saying the same old things, and so you got to <laughs> tweak it up a little bit. We, we, uh, I remember the only time that I can remember really jumping out at me was it was really an odd one. We, I was in Minnesota as the coordinator, and we played Buffalo the last game of the preseason, and then opened the season with them in Buffalo. Mm. And so, and and it was when Wade Phillips and Wade still tells me that to this day. We went up there and we got into I and ran forty ISO. And 70 outside. How many times? 65 times. <laughs> okay. Out. Then came back in the opener and, and was three wides, four wides, two times. I mean, we spread that dude out and went everywhere. And, you know, I remember Wade coming up and going, could you have run 40 ISO one time just, just so the preparation <laughs> we put in for it? Our guys don't think we're idiots. So, uh, oh, yeah. Boy. Well, let's, let's talk about, uh, I want to talk to you, Mooch, about you had a great conversation with our buddy Andy Reid. Saw a little bit of it, obviously, on, on Playbook or on the uh, game day. Uh, but tell us a little bit about what it was and what you gleaned from sitting down with, with Andy Reid. This was prior, obviously, to this game against Denver. You know, I flew out there. It was actually on my birthday, okay? Don't ask me how. Ah, 58. And so um, I flew there. So Andy, when I got there, he had this big barbecue spread out we ate beef ribs and pork ribs and what do you call those burnt ends and all, all this stuff man was it good and so then it was kind of like a pregame meal for our interview and but we talked about everything Brian because we coached together 21 years ago as assistant coaches for the Packers and we talked about you know the kids and coaching t-ball against each other and meeting in the in the in the hotel when the fire alarm went off we were in our underwear and it just and then we talked about him going back to Philadelphia, we were trying to decide on the set. It was our Thursday night game. Will he get booed 
or will he get cheered? Well, they gave him this awesome standing ovation over in Philly, which was really heartfelt. And then, uh, you know, it, it, we, we talked about a lot of things. And, and at the time, it was during their bye week, and they were feeling really good about themselves, 9-0. and But uh, it was nice to see Andy. He looked good. He felt good. I asked him about his health. And, he, and he, he seems rejuvenated and refreshed and really having fun again. So, uh, well, anyway, let's, let's just take a listen. All right, let's talk about second chances, okay? Second chances. You're getting a second chance here in Kansas City. Did you ever worry about not getting the right shot again? Um. I, I didn't. I, you know, I didn't put much thought into that, I, I don't think. Um, everything happened so fast uh, that it just kind of, within 48 hours, I think I was booming in Kansas. Boom, boom. Yeah, so uh, uh, Missouri. Um, I got to make sure we hit both of them. We're right on the border here, Mooch. You gotta, anyway. There's a big rivalry. Yeah, who's got better barbecue? Yeah, well, they're, they're both pretty good, yeah. as you witnessed. You're winning by giving Alex Smith a second chance, aren't you? What was it that you saw in Alex that said, hey, this has got to be my guy? Smart, uh, tough, seasoned veteran that's gone through the highs and the lows of the National Football League, which can be brutal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Great leader, makes people around him better. All those qualities that you had at Northern Michigan to win the (laughs) national champion or play in the national. Thank you. Play, win. Win, yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. That's right, yeah. Speaking of second chances, you gave Michael Vick a second chance when nobody else would. Why? Well, listen, I I think everybody deserves an opportunity if they if they figured it out and have gotten it right, you know, or tried to get it right uh, the best way they can. And so you evaluate that, and I did that with Michael, and and uh, he's a great kid. I mean, we we in the business we knew Big Heart good person uh, was in a bad situation, put himself in a bad situation, I mean, admittedly so, um, but got it straight, got it right, and worked out well for him. Where does this willingness to give out lifelines come from? I, you know, I don't know. I, I, probably our upbringing, family, parents, you know, my kids went through it, my sons, so uh, they were given a second chance, and, you know, uh, that's that's part of life. At what point, Andy, last year did you realize that 2012 would be your last year in Philly? You know, I I guess when you're in the grind of it, you don't think that way. You're always trying to fix the fix whatever problem there is. I mean, that's what we do as coaches. So I I took it up to the last game. I mean that's how that's how I went about the business. Didn't and, cross your mind before that that this well, could maybe, be it. Well, because everybody reminded me of it. I mean, yeah, people, yeah, the signs the signs in the stadium. Yeah, that's right. Uh, there were a few reminders. Chant, chance, you know, I was popular. What were some I, of the chance? Not very <laughs> seldom. Other than if you're a rock and roller, do you get sixty thousand people chanting your name? I mean, it was quite a deal. So um, I understand. Listen, I got it. I, I got it. But I but in my mind, I you you also want to make sure that. You stay as focused as you can and give that organization that did so much for myself and for those players you know, the, and, and coaches the, uh, your maximum. So that, that's how I tried to approach it. What a difference a year makes. Right now, you're sitting really undefeated on top of the world. A year ago, boy, lost games, lost your job, had, had some many things to deal with that, that most of us may never deal with. Sure. Yeah. 
Um, how do you put this all into words? Well, it's, I guess it's part of life. Uh, life is going to give you a, a few curveballs, and you've got to keep hanging in there and swinging, I, I think. And um, I've got a good foundation through my faith. I've got a great wife that is the head coach of the head coach. You know that. Uh -huh. I mean, we're both lucky that way. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I've been blessed with that. So, and I'm the kind that tries to look at the good in things and find the positive even during the tough times. I mean, that's, I think that's important. I, you know, there, there are so many things that we've been blessed with and the opportunity to be here on earth and do the things that we do, um, I think is, is, is tremendous. And then we're able to teach young people. I mean, how great is that? You know, it's, uh, there's reward in that and, and uh, uh, satisfaction in that. Where do you draw your strength from? I, I guess, you know, I'd come back and probably say faith and uh, family. I mean, those are, uh, those are the places. I, whether, it's, whether it was my parents or, or my immediate family, uh, you know, my wife is, is, like I said, she's strong as all get out. And then those around you, I mean, you, I've been blessed to be around great people. Many of us, and I think Tammy as well, thought you might take some time off. Why did you jump right back in it immediately? Why? Well, I, listen, I, I love what I'm doing. Uh, I, I get it. I mean, I, I understand where people are coming from. It, it was all concern. I, I got that. And, um, uh, but that's, not, that's really not where, where I was. Um, you know, I, I, I had an opportunity. Um, I guess this comes back to uh, the rebound part of thing. Well, I had an opportunity uh, to work for the Hunt family. So there, there are a few old families. You and I have been around this thing a long time, and, and uh, we've sat in those owner meetings and the whole works, and, and there, there are a couple, there are a handful of families in the National Football League that have been doing this forever. I mean, this is their passion and their life, and this is what they've been doing for many, many years. And if you have the opportunity to work for one of those, you, you, you feel blessed. And so uh, I had the opportunity to work for the, the Hunt family, Clark Hunt, um, and, and they're just, they're no better people than that, uh, to, to have the chance to do. So, um, you know, I, looking back, I looking back, Andy, at your 14 years in Philly, would you do anything differently? I don't think so. You know, I, I you know, I guess there are here and there things, I mean, but they're, but for the most part, no, I, you know, I think if we if we can be honest with people and we can be ourselves, you can't stay someplace in the National <clears throat> Football League 14 years without being who you are. I mean, the players read through that in a heartbeat. I mean, that's how this thing works. So I think I was honest with people and, and did, did my job the best of my abilities. I was surrounded with, by great coaches and great people. Um, my family loved it. They loved the city. They loved the Eagles, um, that whole deal. So uh, I, w I wouldn't say I'd do anything different in that regard. Right on the heels now of guys like John Fox, our friend John Fox with having heart surgery, Gary Kubiak actually mm -hmm. going down during the game, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and the pressures that go with being a head coach in the National Football League. Talk about the challenges of balancing fatherhood mm -hmm. and being a head coach in the National Football League. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there is a balance. I think there's a balance to everything you do in life. I mean, there has to be. 
Um, you always say family, faith, and football, and not necessarily in that order. However, you you work it. That's probably all the time you, uh, that you have to. If you're going to spend it, those are the three things that you have, have the time to spend it on. So, um, uh, but there, you got to you have to take. I'm sitting here. You know, I'm sitting here like I'm wasting away to nothing, right? But you you've got to take care of yourself um, after we just downed like a whole cow. That was a, uh, and a pig. Uh, yeah, and yeah. What, what do you do to take care of yourself? I mean, do, do you require your coaches to have physicals? Do you exercise? To, I mean, well, so so that we do. So you can last. Yeah. You know what? I a couple of years back I started. Working out about every day. I mean, I some try to do some. Girls? Well, I don't. Yeah, I'm past that. <laughs> I'm past that. <laughs> the body beautiful. I'm last. I'm last in that. But you know, just get get some cardio in. The stress reliever, I guess. Um, uh, and uh, what do you do? Uh, what do you do? I look at. The, I talk to the machine. <laughs> I say, listen, help me, help me here, because I am going to eat, Mooch. I am going to eat. Oh, really? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, not, that's never been a problem. I have a photo to prove it. Yeah, no, I know. Both I, know I know. So, but I, you, you try to take care of yourself, and then we do. We have mandatory physicals uh, throughout the year. There is, there is stress. So you've you got to look at in the National Football League, and you've got to look what's real and, and what's not real. R- really, the real part is you, you get your football team ready and going out and playing. It's a, it's a fantasy land around it. Uh, the reality is, and the fun part is, that actual football part. And watching your watching your guys go out and play their tail off, and, and loving the experience of playing in the National Football League, having the opportunity to coach them, and putting game plans together, the strategy of it, all that—that's that, a good part. Um, and, and then you've got again, you've got to be able to tell kind of what's real and you know, what's not. After you took this job and got your schedule, did you circle that game? at Philly you know Andy I, I, I'm, I'm telling you I, I, and I'm, I'm competitive but I'm not that's not that's not how I how I rolled with it I, I can tell you Jeff Lurie gave me 14 great years phenomenal years and gave me every opportunity in the world to win um, and, and so and I thought by the time we got to that point I thought change was good for both I, I just thought it'd be good for the Eagles I thought it, you know it had a chance to be good for uh, the Chiefs, you know, in this case. But you, you thought change was good for the Eagles. When did you decide that? Well, when, when, he, did, to, when, when he told me that change was going to be good. <laughs> and you okay? <laughs> no, I, um, I, you know, I, I don't know where I, where I came to that. But I, do, do, uh, do you subscribe to that, that notion of there's a shelf life for coaches and then there needs to be a change? Yeah, well, I think, I, I think uh, and it's been proven over time, I'm not saying anything. No, I don't know what that time is uh, because there are variables that are involved, uh, any management changes, any player changes, position changes, you know, whatever it might be uh, that are also involved in that. So, uh, but, but you get a feel. As a coach, if you've been someplace that long, you kind of know. You have an idea of when enough uh, is enough. Now you fight that and you, you make sure that you stay as focused as you possibly can focus it. So, I mean, that's, that's how you go. But... I can't give you a date on it, though. Well, you had 140 wins over there in Philly. Did the did Philadelphia appreciate you enough? You know what? This is what's unique about Philadelphia, is um, they're they're a little bit like a coach in that I'm talking about the fans. Is that if you're not doing well, they're going to let you know you're not doing well. If you're doing well, they're 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 going to let you know you're doing pretty good. So, so there's the movie Silver Lining Playbook, huh? Real? 
It's pretty close. <laughs> it's pretty close. They mentioned you in that movie. I know. How about that? I like De Niro. Yeah, I know I you like did. them all. Yeah, but, but you really like De Niro. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, I know. He looks like my dad. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> we had your game. NFL Network had your game when you returned to Philly. And on the set, Andy, we were discussing how will Andy Reid be received. We know that the fans booed Santa Claus. And to be honest with you, Andy, when you came in with that big red thing on, you looked a little bit like Santa Claus. And I so, and so um, describe the feeling that you had when you walked onto that field to a standing ovation. Yeah, well, you don't know. I, I didn't know what to expect. That's what's so great about Philadelphia. You don't, they keep you right on the edge of things. And so I had no idea how they would respond, and um, I appreciated it. I mean, listen, the people there were phenomenal to myself and my family. And so, uh, and when we stunk, they let me know that. I got it. I got it. It's a badge of honor. I mean, you wear that. I mean, that's part of being, you know, a Philadelphian. So um, I've got that. Uh, but uh, I did appreciate it. I mean, it, that was, it was awesome. I mean, that was an awesome thing. And, you know, and it was awesome to have Michael Irvin there, too. Why? But, well, because Michael didn't quite get that same response, you know. Although he got the badge of honor. When he got hurt. He got hurt. Yeah, and there's two ways you can take that. But he was, he's a great player that they highly, highly respected. That's just their way of showing it, you know. And yeah, so that's, a, that's an unusual it, it's way an unu- it. No, but It's unusual, but that's what makes yeah. that city so unique. But Michael Irvin was a great player, and that city had the ultimate respect for him. That's just how they kind of gave it, gave him a little bit of business. But uh, it wasn't for a lack of him not being phenomenal. Who's that official? Giving him the business. Giving him the business. Who's that guy? Yeah. Jerry, <laughs> Jerry Mark Wright? <laughs> okay. What's better, that standing ovation or the Gatorade bath? I'm going to tell you, that, that Gatorade bath was unbelievable. That one caught me, which it shouldn't have. This shows my awareness, right? So uh, it caught me by complete surprise, obviously. I took the whole trench, you know, the whole thing went down. Uh, um, I appreciate that by the player. The players were awesome. This group here is a unique group, and they're, they're, they've been all in from the day we got here, and I've, I've appreciated that. Why was trading for Alex Smith your first order of business here in Kansas City? Well, um, Matt Castle I really liked, actually, as a quarterback. Um, in this league, there. <clears throat> change can be good. So there's a time and a place where you have to move on. Matt probably needed new scenery. Um, I think Alex could probably say the same thing. And uh, from the time he was playing for Urban at Utah, um, I I have a close friend there who's now the head coach and Kyle Whittingham. Um, Not that I was in any position to get Alex, but I was in the personnel business like we all are. Did you try to get him at Philly at all? There was a time uh, when Donovan, you know, that somewhere in that period, I can't even tell you when it was, I'm not sure, but it was after, it was post-Donovan, um, and they weren't going to let him go. I mean, that's not what, they weren't, but you inquire, you know how that goes, you yeah. inquire about everybody, mm-hmm. so I happened to inquire about him, um, but they, they weren't in a position there to, uh, that they wanted to do anything, so, um, but listen, he, uh, he, he was somebody that I thought could fit into this offense and do a nice job with it. He's, he's, I felt that way from the time he was in college. Yeah. A new beginning 
that seemed to be the theme here in Kansas City in the offseason. Did that make Alex Smith the perfect fit, given what he had gone through in San Francisco? Well, I think, it, I think that helps. Uh, but, listen, the bottom line is that he's a good football player, right? So um, as much as we, you, you want that story, that's not how you're looking at it uh, from a coaching standpoint. You want to give him that opportunity for a fresh start, but at the same time you want to make sure that you're bringing in a good football player to lead your football team. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's, I, I felt that way about him. I still do. During the trade talks, did you ever have a conversation with Jim Harbaugh personally? I didn't. No, I never did. Um, and actually, John Dorsey did most of, uh, most of that. I mean, John just asked me if I was all in on Alex, and John kind of took it and, and ran from there. So, um, you know, he did all the, all the work with the 49ers. What are some of the things that Alex brought here that you didn't expect? Well, that's, a, that's a tough one. Um, I, well, I guess you never know. You, you've heard of the leadership and the respect uh, that the players have, but do you really know that till he's in your system, in a new city, in this new environment, with all the hoopity hoop that goes uh, with it? Um, uh, you don't know that. And so the more, I, the more I was around him early, the more I'm going, wow, this guy is a solid, solid guy for what he went through. Oof. And he's passionate. I mean, how many guys, and you've, been, you've, you've done this at this position so much, but how many guys do you have to, like, kick out of the building? The league's made rules in the offseason. You can only be in the building. So, okay, you need to get out of here, like, now, or we're going to be on, like, secret double probation in our first year before we even get started. That's what you have in him, and that's the way it's been uh, throughout the season here. What were your expectations with him from the beginning? Well, you know, and it, you always, and this gets so misconstrued in this business, but you, you want him to be able to manage the offense. Okay, so everybody goes, he's oh, a game yeah, manager. Yeah, he's a game manager. I mean, I mean, come on. What quarterback isn't a game manager that's successful? Yeah. That's right. So that, that's, a, that's a compliment. That doesn't mean that he can't throw the football. He doesn't, can't make a note. No, that means he can do all of it, right? He gives it everything around him. He's been given a young offensive line. Right? Uh, so you better have a guy that makes everybody around him better. Uh, this offensive line is the youngest in the National Football League. Where does it all start? It starts up front. So how, how are you going to make that group better? How are you going to make the running backs and the wide receivers and the tight ends better? That's what great quarterbacks do. Uh, and thus they make you and I better, right, as coaches. I mean, that's, that's how it works. And, and, uh, and he, he does that. Andy, given the fact that you have been through so much professionally, and personally, Mm -hmm. and the Chiefs organization last year, a lot of difficulty Mm -hmm. and tragedy. Were you the perfect fit to lead this team going forward? Yeah, well, listen, I I don't don't think it's, we're we're still young in it. Um, But I will tell you, they they went through a tough thing, I went through a tough thing, Uh, and football teams are like families, so you lose somebody, that's not easy. I mean, that's not an easy thing. But you pull it together and you rally together. You rally together as a family. You rally together as a football team. And like I said, you find the best in each other. That's, what, that's the, the, one of the pluses that happens. You find the best in each other and you find a, some, this inner strength and you get better. 
And so I think that's probably what's taking place on, on both sides. You mentioned just now you get better. Are you a better coach this year than you were last year? Well, I, I guess, you know, by, by record, yes. Um, am I kind of doing the same things that I've always done? I probably have. I, I guess we change with time as we go, but I feel like I'm doing basically the same, same things. Uh, um, those kids, I love those kids that, that I coached in Philadelphia. I mean, that, that's the part you kind of forget, that, that those, those kids, everything was about the kids. I, I was so happy that they got a great coach there for the kids. And that, that's, what it, that's what it's about. And, um, and so uh, and I felt like I had energy there. I feel like I have energy now. I don't get to do these interviews with you every day, which is a little different. Well, if you keep bringing out the ribs, I'm coming back. <laughs> yeah, you had about 14 of them. Hey, hey, you had, you had some, too. <laughs> Maybe we'll get a picture on our wall in this facility. Yeah, you don't even bring your guys any ribs. You're killing me. <laughs> it's been one heck of a ride for you from just a year ago to now. How can you sum it up? Uh, you know, it's, been, it's, it's fun. It's fun. It's a new challenge. Uh, being in a new place, um, change can be good, right? Change can be good. It, you know, we're sitting here. You're a lot older than I, but I mean, no, sitting well. here, sitting here at 55 years old, change can be, change can be a good thing. And uh, um, and so, uh, I'm glad I have the energy to do it and the opportunity to do it. I'm fired up that I'm, I've got a great coaching staff and these players here. I can't say enough about the players here. And the, the people, the organization is tremendous. So very lucky to sum it up, very lucky to be here, very lucky to have this opportunity. And uh, I am uh, love every minute of it. That was awesome, oh. Steve. I love the fact anytime we get a chance to visit with coaches, it's, uh, it's a good time. That's what the Coach Show podcast should be about. Make sure that you tune into iTunes for the Coach Show podcast. We appreciate you listening. Come back here next week for the Coach Show podcast.